0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Reviving Vet Med. In today's episode, we are going to be discussing recovering from habitual burnout. I definitely can attest to experiencing habitual burnout early in my career. I went from my internship to residency, to faculty position without really much of a break and without any knowledge of prevention strategies and how to practice self-care and even recognizing the signs of burnout. And ultimately what happened is that I found myself in a state of chronic exhaustion and depression and anxiety. And I really thought that it was just telling me that I wasn't cut out for the job and that I needed to make a change. And While I definitely needed to make a change in hindsight, it probably also needed to be implementing a lot of the strategies I'm going to share with you today in terms of getting to the root of that burnout and finding ways to really intentionally recover. So, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the different stages of burnout, the symptoms that are associated with them, and then most importantly, what we are going to be talking about the process of recovering. So please note that this episode was recorded using live video. You will hear me interacting with some of the people who were watching live. And with that said, I'm just really excited to share this information with you. This was a really popular topic. A lot of people were interested in hearing more. So I'm excited for you to have a listen. Let's get into it. This is the Reviving Vet Med podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Marie Hollowaychuk. My mission is to improve the mental health and well-being of veterinary professionals around the world. So let's dive in, what do we plan on covering today? Well, I am going to review the five stages of burnout, including the symptoms that are associated with each of those stages. And then most importantly, I'm gonna discuss ways to manage these different stages of burnout. So depending on where you find yourself in these different stages, there are going to be different strategies that I'm going to recommend for you. Of course, all these strategies work for all the stages, so you're not required to do one or the other. But especially for those of you who are in the more advanced stages of burnout, you are going to want to engage in a little bit more structured, intensive measures to get yourself to a state of recovery sprinkled within this presentation, because I'm an avid researcher, I am going to highlight just a few different research results from different studies looking at burnout specifically among veterinarians. And all along the way as well, I'm going to share resources and suggestions, especially when it comes to recovering from habitual burnout, which is why all of you here, you're probably captivated by this title. You wanted to um, get to know, you know, what is this? What does this mean? Is this something I could be doing? dealing with, or maybe someone in your team. And so I'm so glad that you're here. And once again, at the end, I'll be happy to open it up for question and answer. So let's dig in. We all know the statistics, really, we've heard, um, if not in conferences and in veterinary publications that have been circulating. If you even look at anything veterinary-related in the mainstream news these days, you're going to see mention of veterinarian mental health and well-being. There's a lot of coverage now and a lot of exposure with regards to the high suicide rate that we see amongst veterinarians and veterinary team members. Of course, there's a lot of mention about staffing shortages a lot of hospitals have had to close most recently Ottawa Emerge had to close and that's of course a big hospital that a lot of different regions feed into and so a lot of people are impacted by these closures now many of this much of this I should say is related to COVID and hopefully will subside once the pandemic um, starts to quiet down again but a lot of this really is endemic in our profession and so it's really important Important that we're talking about it, and it's really wonderful that you've all shown up here today with an interest in making a difference when it comes to burnout. So, what have we seen over the last couple of years? We have seen an increase in caseload for most hospitals. I know some hospitals have settled out a little bit, but for all intents and purposes, many of us are busier than we've ever been before, especially pre-pandemic when we compare that. There are staffing shortages, and this is multifactorial. A lot of this is because the growth of the caseload and the demand for veterinary care has exceeded what we had in terms of staffing before. And unfortunately, we've also had some attrition. I think we all know someone or several people who have left the profession because of burnout or because they wanted to move on to something different or they were just Done, um with the stressors that we face in the profession on a regular basis. We've also seen a shift to curbside service which some of us admittedly prefer but for many of us it does cause a little bit of stress as well and there's also that uncertainty and that flipping back and forth with public health restrictions and hospital protocols, you know, are we curbside this week? Are we going to let owners into the hospital? Are we back to curbside? And then, of course, with all of that uncertainty and with the heaviness and the emotion with the pandemic and with the political climate and everything else that we're coping with these days, our clients really do seem to be more disgruntled. And I don't want to just paint all clients with a broad brush. I would say that human beings in general are a little bit more disgruntled. I think we can all admit that we are also feeling a little bit heightened in terms of our emotion. I can certainly attest to this, having burst into tears picking up my daughter from daycare last week after an incident that happened, which is not a typical response for me. But I think for so many of us, you know, we're just on that real, um, I don't want to say breaking point, but our emotions are very surface because we are carrying so much with us these days. So, you know, rewind a couple of months ago and it really started to look like things were looking up. You know, I don't know about you, but I I started thinking about travel again. I had uh, accepted a couple of speaking engagements in the States and really was thinking, okay, I think this is it. We're emerging, you know, everybody's got their vaccines or many people have their vaccines on board. Things are quieting down. And I will say that when I've spoken to different practices, during the last few months, it really has seemed that things hit a bit of a steady state that, you know what, we've got the staff that we need, or at least we're, we're getting by in a more comfortable way in that maybe the caseload has quieted down a little bit. So that was really positive, but... What I'm also hearing and what I have continued to hear is that despite caseloads leveling out, despite staffing shortages settling down and despite a a found stability in the clinic and really stability with public health protocols as well, that staff are remaining cynical, unmotivated, unenthusiastic, exhausted, and disengaged. Now, again, I'm not saying that this applies to all members of the clinic, but there is a sense that despite things looking a little bit more doable, a little bit more comfortable, that it seems that we're not seeing that same shift amongst many of our team members. And so this really got me thinking, I heard this from multiple managers and practice owners whom I was consulting with, and I started to think, you know what, it almost seems like we've got this sort of residual burnout or this persistent sense of burnout, and it led me back to the literature to really do a deep dive into, okay, what does recovery from burnout really look like from a scientific perspective? And that led me to this paper, and I'm gonna to link to this paper in the notes for this episode. And for any of you um, who don't can't find those notes or you want to message me directly, please do so and I'll send it to you. This is an open access article that's titled Burnout in Healthcare Workers, Prevalence, Impact, and Preventative Strategies. It's a really fantastic review. It's got some great schematics and it really takes us through the research, which, which goes back decades at this point, which we're just revisiting in the face of COVID and all of the healthcare-related burnout that we're seeing. And it really demonstrates that, you know what? Burnout is not just simple as you're burned out or you're not burned out, especially when it comes to healthcare professionals like vet- veterinarians, veterinarians and veterinary team members, it is much more complex than that. And the recovery, surprisingly, can take months to even years if you are in the habitual stages of burnout. So, that's my spoiler alert for this presentation. You already know the crux of what I'm going to tell you is that this is complicated. There are five stages that I'm going to describe for you and that you really could be looking at a long road ahead. It's not something that, you know, you're going to shake off within a couple of days or weeks. So, know that for yourself, know that for your teams, and hopefully that will all bring us a little bit of compassion for each other and for ourselves, but also a little bit of motivation to say that, look, if I'm really going to recover from this, I'm going to have to dig in and I'm going to have to do a little bit of work. So what do the five stages of burnout look like? Well, we start from our lowest severity, which is the honeymoon phase. We work up to when stress starts to kick in, then we hit chronic stress, then we're really in burnout, um, especially in the context of what many research studies would define as burnout and then that burnout can become what's known as habitual, and that is very severe and requires um, pretty significant intervention to recover from. So digging in a little bit deeper, the honeymoon phase, you'll see here with my depiction, this is what I call our rainbows and butterflies or rainbows and unicorns phase. Think about when you start a new relationship. I know many of you have been in a relationship for a long time and it's hard to think back to the beginning, but you know, we refer to the beginning of relationships As a honeymoon phase. And I think about the same thing when we start a new job or we start a new career. We're excited, we're energized, we're feeling optimistic, we're very productive, we're very satisfied. And we also have this desire to prove ourselves. So that also feeds into the motivation and the job satisfaction. Then some stress starts to kick in and we start to recognize, you know what, not all days are rainbows and butterflies. Some days are more difficult than others. And when this stress starts to kick in, which we know that it will, especially with the work that we do as veterinary care providers, we start to feel, you know what, more of my life is dedicated to work than I would like it to be. There's a sense that there's less time for spending it with family, friends, and self-care. Symptoms in this stage can look like less of ability to focus, especially on work, maybe losing sleep, maybe productivity goes down. Some people start to avoid decisions because you know there's that decision fatigue as well that can happen when we're juggling a, a lot a large workload and a lot of decisions. And then for some individuals, they can also experience anxiety and even headaches. Then we transition into chronic stress, so this is where those days really start to, those difficult days really start to outweigh the good days, and individuals will start to feel a sense of powerlessness or a failure, and that can lead to frustration. People will feel like, you know what, my efforts are not really paying off, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels, and especially those team members who are not feeling acknowledged in how difficult or stressful their work is or how hard they're working, they can either start to feel incompetent, like I must be doing something wrong because I'm not getting any positive feedback um, or inadequacy. And ultimately, all of this leads to exhaustion and then resentment starts to kick in as well. And for any of you who've heard me talk about boundaries, this is a real a trigger point that should be alerting you red flag if you're feeling resentment we need to start creating some boundaries because we're pushing ourselves too hard and the stress is really starting to take over now some people in a state of chronic stress will actually deny there's a problem and say you know what this is part of the job this is just how it is there's not really an issue i don't need to change anything and instead they resort to coping strategies so whether that be substance use binge-watching TV, you know, um, pick, pick your poison. We all have our, our different likes when it comes to coping strategies and distractions. But ultimately, there, if you do not take steps in this stage to really reverse the stress and take care of yourself, then ultimately you are going to progress to burnout. And really what we know about burnout is that it's characterized by cynicism, that sense of apathy, not caring, which some other people will refer to as emotional exhaustion. There can also be a sense of despair and disillusionment. And and we're seeing this a lot in the veterinary industry, especially amongst our newer practicing veterinarians, whereby they're coming into practice and this stress is just taking off and it's not being managed and steps aren't being taken to fix it. Because of course, many of us weren't taught this in veterinary school. And then we become in this state of disillusionment where it's like, this is not what I signed up for. Like people did not tell me it was going to be this way. And this is not what I want to be doing for the rest of my career, the rest of my life. So many people in this stage really can't see a way out. And I hear this a lot among practicing veterinarians at all stages. So they either become resigned to, this is just the life I've chosen um, or indifferent. So there can be a lot of pessimism which of course we've seen a lot you know in various social media platforms and so on. Also, a lot of self-doubt, you know, doubting decisions, doubting capacities and capabilities, and then a sense of social isolation, especially when people do connect with different individuals whereby they maybe aren't sharing that they're struggling as well. And so then an individual can start to feel like, gosh, am I the only one that's feeling this way? And am I just incapable of making this work? And then a lot of the times we internalize those feelings and those struggles physically. So this can manifest as chronic headaches, chronic gastrointestinal signs. And for many individuals, and I say this to the managers who are listening and watching, we can see behaviors that are out of character for the individual. So you had a team member that was always you know, very pleasant. Everyone enjoyed working with them. Very good with clients, always on time, and you start to see that, you know, they're coming in late, they're more snippy, Um, you're hearing complaints about them. Again, really listening to that and, and offering some compassion and benefit of the doubt to think, gosh, could this person be finding themselves in a state of burnout, and how can I support them in identifying that and helping them to recover? So then last but certainly not least, we have our habitual burnout stage. And so with habitual burnout, the symptoms of burnout really just become more embedded. There are attempts to revert back to normal, perhaps in some individuals, but they find it incredibly challenging. And so the ongoing mental, physical, and emotional problems persist. What this can look like for many individuals is a chronic sadness, mental, and physical fatigue. Many people as well with habitual burnout will also experience depression and everyone will be impacted, not just in work, but outside of work as well. And I'm seeing in the comments here that there are suggestions that many people, not even veterinary professionals, are experiencing burnout with a pandemic. And you are absolutely right. Remember that burnout, unlike compassion fatigue, can be experience, experienced, I should say, by anyone. You don't have to be a caregiving professional to experience burnout. The teachers are burnt out. The health care workers are burnt out the I mean you name it everyone you don't even have to be working right now you can be at home parenting and looking after loved ones and dealing with the COVID craziness as I call it and you can be feeling burnt out and again many of us are are really feeling impacted by this and and I do want to highlight this idea that you are feeling this in and outside of the workplace. Because in the earlier stages of burnout, you are going to feel great when you are not at work. If you take vacation, you've got days off, you've got the weekend off, you're not on call, you are going to feel well. It is when you step back into that workplace that these signs and symptoms really start to pick up again. However, with habitual burnout, it it takes it a step further and it becomes so ingrained in you that it does get dispersed into all areas of your life. So that can be a real indicator that that is what you are experiencing. So I asked the question then, are veterinary teams stuck in a stage of habitual burnout? And I think the answer is yes, for many individuals. Again, whether that's pandemic related, uh, related to the pandemic itself, or whether it's related to all of the things that we're seeing in veterinary practice subsequent to the pandemic, it, it doesn't really matter in that context. What I want us to focus on for this session is to really understand that if this is where you are at, we do need to take some steps if you do want to recover, which I think most of us do. You know, most of us want to get to a state where we are feeling uh, better and um, back to more our normal selves, regardless of whether or not or when the world normalizes, um, so to speak. So when we look at these different stages, again, we're looking at a very fast recovery um, or management of the signs to a much slower recovery as we progress through the stages of burnout. So for those who are in the honeymoon phase, so for those of you who have new graduates coming into your practice, or anybody new who's coming to your workplace, who's taking on this new job, make sure that they are aware and that you are aware of the risk factors for burnout and that you are managing stressors with self-care and various other tools. So when it comes to risk factors for burnout, this is one of the recent studies that I wanted to highlight the findings from. This is a study that was literally just published last year looking at more than 5,000 full-time veterinarians between 2016 and 2018, so this was pre-pandemic who completed an AVMA census of veterinarian survey. 50% of them were classified as having high burnout scores and high burnout scores were associated with high educational debt and spending more than 75% of their time in practice working with dogs or cats. So it does seem to impact small animal veterinarians and those with high debt loads um, more so. There was also a tendency towards lower burnout scores amongst veterinarians with more experience, higher incomes, and men in the veterinary profession. So, you know, there's some interesting takeaways here. And again, these are just trends. These are just statistical findings based on survey studies, but we're seeing this tr- these trends in a lot of surveys. And that is that early career veterinarians, female veterinarians, and those carrying a significant amount of debt As well as those working in companion animal practice, do tend to be more impacted. So if you fall into those categories, you do want to be mindful. And it's not to say that men in mixed animal or large animal practice, you know, are not going to ever experience burnout. That's not at all what I'm saying, but your risk of it is higher if you fall into some of these categories. So bearing that in mind as well. And so when I talk about prioritizing self-care, this is really important. And again, many of us are not taught these strategies in school. So these are things that we do need to learn as we go within our careers. And for those of you who are in mentoring roles, I really want you to impart this on your mentees. I want you to lead by example as well, because if you say one thing and do another, they are going to follow your lead in terms of what your actions are. They are not going to listen to what you say. So my blog for the month of January was called Make Wellbeing a Reality by Resolving to Schedule Self-Care. And what I did with this blog post is that I really broke down how we get self-care ingrained into our lives. And I gave some different, five different strategies. The first one being identifying your daily self-care non-negotiables. For me, every single day, schedule permitting, I want to get enough sleep. For me, that's eight hours. I want to get some movement into my day it's usually half an hour of exercise and I want to have an opportunity for quiet reflection either in the form of meditation or journaling so those are my daily non-negotiables it's going to look different for everyone that's that's what that's what I need every day to show up the way I want to show up and to fight burnout and keep it from taking over I also set and recommend that you do as well, weekly self-care goals. So when you look at your week, you might have a disastrous week when it comes to your schedule. You know, maybe you're working six, 10 hour, 12 hour shifts. You know, you wanna make sure then that you are scheduling in or prioritizing on your off day or amidst those difficult days that you have self-care scheduled in at some point. So make sure that you're prioritizing that. Then from a monthly perspective, this is where I think of our maintenance, right? We're kind of like cars. You know, we need oil changes. We need tune-ups every so often. As we get older, some of us need more tune-ups. And so, you know, I try to make sure, and and this is a recurring on my to-do list, is that every month I have a massage appointment or an acupuncture acupuncture appointment or, um, you know, uh, making sure that my counseling is getting scheduled Whatever it is, but again, taking a look at your month and making sure that you're doing that because otherwise, if you don't get it in your schedule, something that can happen at any time happens at no time. So plan it, schedule it, and again, that was the big reason for writing this blog. Then I suggest a quarterly re-evaluation of self-care for those of us who live in colder seasonal climates. It's wonderful to think on a season-by-season basis, what am I going to focus on? And then I'm a big fan of annual goals for the year and ideally having some, you know, self-care strategies embedded into those annual goals as goals as well. So if you're interested in reading that blog post, I will post the link in the notes. Otherwise, you can go to Marie forward slash blog and you will have access to all of my posts. So as we carry on into the latter stages of burnout, when we think about stage three where we are, pardon me, stage two, where we have this onset of stress, this is where we really want to start to recognize the signs of stress and prioritize prioritize strategies to reduce stress. So this is where things like sleep, boundaries, mindfulness practice, self-compassion, nipping that perfectionism in the bud, and practicing self-care on a regular basis are really going to serve you. And so what I did is I created a handout that has actionable steps and more information for all of these tools. If you go to MarieHollowaychick.com forward slash subscribe, You will get onto my newsletter list, so you'll get news and tips and strategies every other week related to veterinary well-being, and you can unsubscribe from that at any time if it doesn't serve you, but in addition to subscribing, you are going to get a PDF that is several pages long with, again, those 10 tools for battling burnout, so please do take advantage of that and share that link with your teams as well so that they can subscribe and can download that tool as well. Now, when you hit stage three chronic stress, this is where we really want to intervene in a more structured way. If you have not been doing the tools and strategies that I've mentioned already, absolutely, you want to start to integrate them. But you probably are going to need to do something a little bit more impactful. You might consider taking a vacation. And I know so many of us have been putting off vacations, waiting until the pandemic lifts, waiting until we feel more comfortable to travel. But I'm telling you, you, you may be waiting, unfortunately, for a while, and we don't want to put off that break from work that all of us need to replenish ourselves. So whether it's vacation, um, whether you take some sort of stress management program, lots of employee assistance programs offer very structured stress management programs that you can take on an ad hoc basis, basically Um, you know, online. Or you could even enroll in an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction program. So an MBSR. I did an MBSR more than 10 years ago when I was in a very serious state of chronic habitual burnout. And it was transformative for me. It helped with my anxiety and depression symptoms. It really got me embedded in the habit of daily meditation. It allowed me to connect with other professionals who were experiencing similar things that I was. I highly recommend it. Many MBSRs are free of charge. So look for those online. And actually, I did a search to sort of see what's out there. Because typically, when we used to do MBSRs, BSRs, we would have daily exercises that we would do at home. And then we would meet in person once a week over that eight week period to talk and to practice meditation together and that sort of thing. And of course, we're not most places aren't doing in person anymore. But this company, Palouse Mindfulness, this individual who's put this program together is actually retired and is just doing this for free to spread mindfulness out there. So very legitimate. There are lots of programs available for you. This is accessible and it's highly worth checking out. So when it comes to when we reach the stage of burnout, again, this is where interventions must be lengthened or intensified really in order to get us out of that state. And so this is where you might consider taking a sabbatical or a health leave. So you might actually need more time. If you feel like the vacation doesn't serve you, maybe during your vacation, you start to feel the symptoms really come to a head and it becomes apparent, you know what, this isn't gonna be fixed by this vacation. Like I really need more structured um, time off, then you might wanna to really consider that. You also may wanna take a deep dive look at what it is in your life that may be contributing to burnout. So whether you have certain work responsibilities that are really impacting you, maybe you have a very heavy on-call schedule and that's really contributing to your burnout. Could you reduce your on-call? Could you switch your role in the hospital? Could you adjust your shifts somehow? But really thinking very intentionally about what you might be able to do to intervene. And I want you to really be mindful about this um, and hear me out for just a moment. So this survey is 10 years old now, but in 2012, the CVMA did a survey of Canadian veterinarians with an exceptional response rate, 20% of veterinarians responded. And they found that half of the Canadian veterinarians who responded had experienced previous burnout. Now what's interesting and what I want you to take away from this is that one third of those veterinarians said they had to stop working in order to heal from their burnout. And on average, it was three months that these individuals had to take off work. 29% also received psychotherapy. 27% took antidepressants, of which 70% felt they were effective. 90% considered the profession a major factor in their burnout, which, of course, prompted taking time off. And 68% felt they were at risk of relapse. Now, I would venture to say that the statistics are higher when we look at where we've come in the last 10 years um, in terms of the profession as a whole. And hear me out here. I'm not suggesting that everyone has to go uh, tomorrow and say, that's it, you know, I'm I'm taking time off, I've had it. But I do want you to recognize that you may need need to take those steps if this is something that you are really struggling with. And again, I don't want to belittle this. I know that a lot of us, especially the technicians and other team members who are listening, there may not be the financial capability to take that much time off, especially if it is an unpaid leave. And I understand that. Again, what can we do to adjust and pivot and shape our lives so that we can continue to function and get by despite being in a state of burnout? And then last but not least, When it comes to habitual burnout, of course, all of the mentioned interventions are useful, but I cannot stress it enough, and it was mentioned in the CVMA survey, mental health support is key. I urge you, if you are not already seeing a counselor, therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist, there is a lot of benefit, and this is demonstrated by studies looking at healthcare professionals recovering from habitual burnout, Cognitive behavioral therapy is pretty much the only intervention that has been showed scientifically to be of benefit. Now, it's not necessarily going to be- benefit everyone, and you may not be able to afford it. And so, again, this is where I really urge you to take advantage of your employee assistance program. Speak to your family physician. They might know programs and low-cost low, co- low cost Uh, you know, programs that they might be able to get you into. Utilize your EAP, utilize your resources, utilize your paid leave, and recognize that this is not going to be fixed in a matter of days or weeks. This really can take years. And in the physician-based studies, they really had a hard time putting a timeline on it. But but really, a lot of the studies demonstrated that years later, individuals were still feeling burnout. Now, again, these weren't controlled studies, some of these, so it was hard to get a sense of, you know, were they actually engaging in structured programs and were they really doing intentional interventions or not? Um, So we, we don't know the answers to those questions, but the general sense is that this absolutely takes time. And with that said, I do want to highlight the fact that burnout and mental health problems are different. So there is a significant overlap in symptoms and many individuals who are experiencing habitual burnout can concurrently be experiencing depression and or anxiety. But remember, in the general context, burnout is work-related and clinical depression is a mental illness. Now, we also know that one in four to one in five individuals will experience mental illness in their lifetime. So there is a good chance that you will experience both. Again, don't try and figure it out on your own. Speak to your physician, speak to a mental health provider so that they can give you clarity in terms of where you're at, what are you experiencing, would medication be beneficial, what sort of therapy um, might be beneficial as well, and then support you from there. Now, I have been speaking to a lot of veterinary professionals who have been using online therapy, online counseling, and have been raving about it. This is a website captioned from BetterHelp, and BetterHelp is an online counseling program. They offer counseling that can be all online in terms of um, all digital, like not even getting on video. Um, Some people prefer phone calls. Basically, you can dictate different programs that you do or different subscriptions that you have that determine how many touch points there are with your counselor. A lot of people can text back and forth. It's very accessible. A lot of people I've spoken to were much more comfortable with it if they weren't comfortable, you know, seeing a counselor in person or in a Zoom call. So betterhelp.com, that might be something that you check into. There's many other options out there as well. But this is the one that I've heard the most people um, have been using. So the key takeaways for today, again, I want you to recognize that burnout happens in five stages and many of our team members and ourselves are likely to get stuck in this habitual burnout stage. So we want to make sure that especially for those early in career or starting a new job, that we are managing those stressors and that we are making attempts to prevent burnout. That is really the key. And then recovering from stages four and five of burnout really do require a more structured interventions and again, can take months to years. So that's it for this episode of Reviving Vet Med. I hope that you took away some information about the five stages of burnout and most importantly, some strategies for how to manage and prevent burnout, and most importantly, how to help yourself recover. I urge you to think about one thing that you're gonna do right away after listening to this episode to help recover or prevent yourself from getting into habitual burnout. And if this episode made you think of someone else and you believe that they might benefit from listening to this episode as well, please share it with them and even better, leave a rating and review for my podcast. It really helps to increase exposure and allow other people to benefit from this information as well. If you're interested in the resources from today's episode, please check out the show notes. You can find them on my website at MarieHollowayChuck.com forward slash podcast. I'd like to thank my podcasting team for producing this episode, and I most importantly want to thank you for listening. I hope you'll tune in next time. Until then, take care of yourself. Bye now.